0: all right good evening
1: everybody yeah i got a couple of people online a couple of people here it's good to have you um we left off on the top of page 73 we're in lesson 10 on holy communion and we filled out that uh, chart on the top of the page the comparative teachings on communion who teaches it what is received what is the purpose that's where we left off uh um, were there any questions or comments about any of that before we, we move on? I
0: talked to a couple of uh, fellow uh, Reformed people and told them about, you know, that thought maybe we teaches teach it that, that more Baptist or less Reformed. Yeah. They sort of agreed uh, that what you had there was, almost, was appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty
1: yeah. Well, and and like I said, I think there are some more intricacies to the to the reformed um, view on Holy Communion. You know, it's it's interesting when when you talk about the the com, the communions of Holy Communion, right? There's mm-hmm. there's multiple communions, fellowship, uh, adjoining together that take place. In this sacrament, right? The first one is obviously the elements of bread and wine, with the body and blood of Jesus, right? There's a communion there. You can't separate them. You can't break them apart. They're they they become together, right? And then, of course, there is the communion between the recipient um, who receives these gifts by faith and Jesus, right? Um, I am receiving the body and blood of Jesus. I am in communion and fellowship with Him. And then the third one, of course, is the um the the communion between those who partake together right so we talk about kind of a vertical communion and a horizontal communion and we're going to get into both of those tonight one of the one of the kind of interesting details i think in the reform view is they're they're not going to admit that jesus comes to us in 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 flesh and blood um, in bodily form in the sacrament right this is this is when they say Jesus is in heaven and that's where he stays right but they would say okay well what is the the communion then between you and Jesus well this is the the thing that just kind of boggles my mind that Calvin would say as well by faith we ascend up to Jesus And it's like, so, so the um, almighty omnipotent God can't leave heaven and come down and be with us, but by, but we get to somehow, you know, by faith, ascend and, and, and be with Jesus. Now, the thing I like about it is they recognize this closeness with Jesus, right? That there is this drawing together between host and, and, and participant. That's a good thing but i would say hey, you know they got it, they got it backwards um it isn't us going to jesus but jesus coming to us whereas if you were to talk to like a a strict baptist or you know a non denominational arminian style christian there's really none of that going on at all right it is just purely a represent, representation meal um mm-hmm. yeah the, the at the at the most you know The communion is between me and Jesus in my mind as I remember him, as I think about the sacrifice that Jesus made. So I would say, you know, I still say um, that classic uh, Calvinism, that conservative reformed is as close as you can get to confessional Lutheranism you know, um, as far as views on the majority of, you know, what the Bible teaches. But, um, yeah, I would say there is going to be a disconnect on the the sacraments, and that's going to be probably the most notable one, Um, which is why I said at the beginning of the lesson I I love teaching the sacraments because whereas the majority of Christians, you go through a, a class like this, you know, most Christians would say, for the most part, yep, that's what I believe. You know, yep, that's that's what the Bible teaches. It's when you get to the sacraments, though, that you start to go, mm, "That's different, right?" um There's there's something more going on here. So,
0: just reviewing this week because I, I missed the uh, baptism one. And, oh, okay. So I got to talking to them about that too. And you know, when I think about it never highlighted at all i mean i mean but i'll admit that years go by that baptism the word never even was mentioned uh,
1: sure you know it
0: didn't even cross uh yeah the past, it?
1: and again and, and and the reason peter mentioned that you know uh, growing up reformed the uh, you know baptism really isn't mentioned and again this really goes back at kind of the the foundation of what is a sacrament right and again, we're we're looking at an ordinance versus a sacrament, right? Really, we're looking at a sacrifice versus a sacrament, right? And and so, if baptism or a, a dedication is what a lot of Christians even you know they're not even going to refer to baptism as a thing. Again, this is me kind of bringing my child to God and you know, dedicating them to God. Um, All of that is, goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of that lesson on baptism. And this is kind of where you start to see the disconnect where what is a sacrament? Well, if it's an ordinance, if it's just a New Testament sacrifice, if it's a New Testament version of circumcision, a New Testament version of the Passover, then yeah, there isn't going to be a big deal made about it. Why? Well, because I'm constantly doing things for God. I'm constantly making sacrifices for God. So why would then I keep coming back to this one? That you know, um, you know, most you know, classic Calvinists at least they'll they'll baptize their kids, right? They'll baptize their babies. So you know, I don't even remember it. Um. I've done way bigger things, way more important things since then. And so, why am I going to talk about a good work, a sacrifice that I made to God 40, 50, 60 years ago um, when I don't even remember it? And for us, again, it's like, no, that's not the thing that you do for God. This is not a sacrifice. It's not about you dedicating. Um, you know, Luther will, will say in the small catechism, you know, um, we'll look at the end here. How can eating and drinking do such great things like, like, like um, you know, give to you um, uh, forgiveness of sins, eternal life and salvation? And his answer, just as it is in baptism, it's not the water um, in, in Holy Communion. It's not the eating and drinking. It's not your doing the thing right it's not your obedience it's not your following the ordinance but luther says it's the words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins it's and what is that it's a promise absolutely what is baptism it's a promise yeah and so you know the whole point that luther is making in the answer to both of those is how can these things how can baptism how can holy communion do such great things because god says so that's it right because he's the one who makes the promise where there is water where there is the word where there is the triune god here is the promise that i make And so when we remind each other and we rejoice in, um, and we find strength and comfort in our baptism, um, I don't care if I remember it. I don't care where it was done or who did it. Um, I care that the promise was made to me in that moment. And what God loves is when we hold Him to His promise. Um, And you know Luther, Luther said once. you know, the, um, when, we, when we ask for the forgiveness of sins, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. When we say, um, you know, um, uh, Lord, forgive me for my sins, Luther would say that's not so much like a request as it is a demand. And it's about the only demand that we can make from God. And why is that? It's because he says so. Where there is repentance, there will be forgiveness, right? Um, ask, and it will be given to you. And what, what is the most important thing we could ask from God? Now, Christians jumble those passages, and we screw all that up, right? We want to say, well, I asked for a Ferrari, and I never got it. I, I asked to win the lottery, and, and God—so that passage is garbage. That's not what he's talking about, right? Um, what, what is the context of all of that, right? Right? It's, it's spiritual encouragement, strength, comfort. Um, and where does all of that begin? In the forgiveness of sins. Um, and the death of Jesus Christ means that I now have the right to hold God to the promise that all of my sins are forgiven. Um, and so when we remember our baptism, when we receive Holy Communion week after week, this is what we're doing. We're saying, God, I'm holding you to the promise that you are attaching to this the promise that you are making to me through the eating and drinking, through the, the, the water connected with the word. Um, and so it's clinging to that which God has done for me, that promise that he makes. And, and that's really, that's what is the pro- The promise is the gospel. What is the promise? It's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's a promise, right? We can We can talk about how, The gospel is, yes, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what is all of that? A, it's the promise that it happened, and B, um, it's the promise that it happened for you, right? And all of that is a promise, and this is why it can only be yours, it can only become mine by believing the promise, by trusting in the one who makes the promise, right? And so, yeah, um, it, it's totally going to be, you know, whether you find comfort in baptism, whether you find comfort in communion, is whether you view this primarily as something that I'm giving to God, doing for God, well, then it never will be much, because it really isn't much, right? I mean, look at it, and I, I tell people this all the time, what, watch a baptism. It's the most mundane thing you've ever seen in your life. I mean, giving your kids an actual bath is more of an ordeal than baptism. Um, Watch Holy Communion. This is no special meal. This isn't bread flown in from the Holy Land. This isn't special consecrated wine. Um, I get it at the liquor store right down the road. Um, None of these things are special or immaculate. But what's amazing about it, I think, is this is something that, that most Christians just don't recognize or don't want to admit and that is we talked about this in our lesson um in our bible class when we read through the book on vocation right that god loves to make the ordinary extraordinary right and so so this is what he does in vocation and this is what he does this is just what he does period right um from the from the the incarnation of jesus christ right? Born of a virgin, not in a home, surrounded by shepherds and animals, right? Should it really be that much of a shock then, that when our Lord Jesus Christ comes to us and applies these gifts to us individually, it's in the most ordinary way? Um, And I think this is why so many Christians are kind of blinded by the sacraments because they're just not that spectacular
0: when I talked to them about this and they went back to baptism and they kind of rolled their eyes and I said well you know really those sacraments are the same thing you know they, uh, life, salvation and forgiveness of sins and yep. said, well how can those both be like that The word has to be there with the with the one because Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? I mean, but there's still the forgiveness of sins, and then there's life and the salvation.
1: Yeah. Well, and and Uh, you know,
0: they just said okay, let's just move back to let's talk about communion. (laughs) Baptism just didn't. uh, Yeah. You know,
1: know, I think the thing with baptism, Peter, I would say just simply, um, you know, um, even the vast majority of people think about their birthday once a year, right? The day that you were born into this world. Well, um, as Christians, we view, as scripture teaches, that our baptism is being born of water in the spirit. And so wouldn't wouldn't it make sense that whereas I'm born into this world to one day die, that to be born again of water in the spirit is to be born to never die again wouldn't that be something you'd think at least once a year you'd want to think about? Um, you know, and, and, and what did you have to do? What role did you play in your being born into this world? Not a thing, right? And so it is with your spiritual birth, your rebirth by water and the spirit. Um, God gave birth to you, rebirth. Through water and the Spirit in Holy Baptism, and 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 gave you new life and salvation, right? All of that. Just as I had nothing, I played no active role in my physical birth, so I play no no active or even spiritual role in my spiritual birth, in my rebirth. It's all done to me. Um, I'm all the passive recipient of everybody else's work, right? And when it comes to baptism. Um, it is the work of the trying God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Your friends in cross yourself and say, "Ask God." Well, yeah, I don't even that. I, it, I don't even like it. Well, well, now when I do it, I think like you said. Every time I do it, I think I'm baptized. So yeah, which is <laughs> completely completely yeah sure yep
1: it is absolutely good to hear awesome (laughs) cool all right well let's get into that then middle of page 73 participating in the lord's supper um when jesus instituted holy communion he told his disciples do this in remembrance of me however the bible gives us more instructions about the way we celebrate holy communion than simply to say that it is something we should do Take a look at the following points and passages to discover how we can properly receive Holy Communion and with whom we should receive Holy Communion. So with baptism, we said, this is one of the reasons why we baptize babies. Why? Because Jesus just throws out this blanket statement, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them. And so we baptize them, right? Those are those are the instructions, right? When it comes to Holy Communion, however, what we're going to see is there are more instructions. There are more details. There is more given to us when it comes to preparing someone to receive this sacrament. Okay, so um, first passage that we're going to look at a couple times: First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 through 29. Um, Paul writes, "For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." And I think that's such an underutilized passage. Um, and And one that is is easy for us to forget, you know we're, we're gonna get into this uh, closed communion on the next page, and it's something that so many Lutherans um are terrified of because it feels like this um you know unwelcoming thing. And if somebody can't receive Holy Communion, then we feel like well, then they're 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 missing out on everything. And it's, do you realize that here in this verse, what Paul is saying? When this happens, when people come up and receive Holy Communion, what we are all doing together is we are proclaiming the gospel. We're proclaiming the death of Jesus Christ until he comes again. So that simply to be in the presence of the sacrament is to hear the gospel. And what do you think that is? Given for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. This is the whole point. This is the proclamation, right? Um, so, so it's something we, we, we ought not shy away from and, and, and dare never be, um, ashamed of. Therefore, Paul says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there's a lot going on there. First of all, I want to point out, I've got it underlined in your notes and each of them um, um, numbered. If we looked up above, remember one of the things that I mentioned with the Roman Catholic teaching of transubstantiation is that the bread and wine are no longer there. They're there only in appearance, they would say, Um, But the bread and wine go away, they turn into the body and blood of Jesus, so that what is received is only really two things, just the body and blood of Jesus. And this is a passage that we would point to and say, no, Paul makes it very clear that you are still eating the bread and drinking the cup, drinking the wine of that cup. However, um, when you receive it in faith, you are not only eating and drinking bread and wine, but also then receiving the body and blood of Jesus. At the same time, if you are not receiving it in faith, and we're going to talk about all of what that means, if you're not receiving Holy Communion in a proper manner, the body and blood of Jesus are still there, but you're not receiving them now for your spiritual benefit. You are receiving them actually to your own judgment. So body and blood, um, um, bread and cup, all four of those things are still present. Regardless of what you believe or whether you believe or not, those are there because, again, the sacrament is what Jesus says it is, not what I believe it to be, or reject it from being. Um, and so, this is why this is a serious thing. So Paul says we have to examine ourselves before we eat. We we ought to we ought to ask ourselves some questions. We ought to recognize. Kind of, what do I believe is in this sacrament? Who am I and what benefit does it give me? Um, this is not something we see attached to baptism. Um, you ought to examine yourself before you're baptized. No, um, but it is here for Holy Communion. Um, and so Paul makes that clear um, in verses 28 and 29. Now, what does it mean to examine ourselves? I kind of just ran through some of those questions. Let's look at a couple other passages that reference that they don't really have anything to do with holy communion but they do have uh, to do with they do pertain to examining yourself when i when i reflect upon myself my life what do i see who am i right first john chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 john says this if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just then will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So part of that examination is to ask myself, what? If this is for the forgiveness of sins, well, am I a sinful person who needs the forgiveness of sins? Or do I look at this and say, I'm actually a pretty good person. I don't need the forgiveness of sins. Well, then you don't need the sacrament, right? And, and, And to come and receive it, rejecting the very thing that it is giving you is to not receive body and blood with forgiveness, but it is to have that body and blood stand in judgment over you. Okay. You are deceiving yourselves and therefore the truth is not in you or Romans chapter six, Paul begins that, that, that amazing chapter with this question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And again, we talked about this passage, the following verses specifically uh, in in connection to baptism, this idea that our baptism gives us daily strength to remember who we are declared to be by means of our baptism, um, a redeemed and adopted child of God. That I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that I am born again to live a new life, um, renewed in the image of Jesus Christ Himself. All of those promises are attached and spoken over me in baptism. What does that then mean? It means that I have died to my sin and I've been raised with Christ to live a new life. Apart from faith in Christ, all I can do is sin. I don't care what your life looks like on the outside. I don't care if the world would call you the greatest humanitarian apart from faith in Christ, all you can do in respect and in relation to God is sin because that's all you have is a sinful nature. However, when you are brought to faith, when you are baptized, that sinful nature is drowned and a new person, a new nature is now given to you. We call this the new self, right? We call this the, Um, our our spiritual self, right? Um, That the Apostle Paul is constantly talking about. And guess what? That new self can do God-pleasing things. I have the spirit dwelling within me. Um, I'm doing good works, Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2, that God has prepared in advance for me to do. I can do things that glorify God. I can do things that put a smile on God's face. All um by the power and the virtue and the blessing of Jesus Christ. I claim nothing of myself, right? Even these good works are his doing. Um but because now I don't only have that sinful nature, when I'm confronted with sin and temptation, what what do I now have the strength to do? By the spirit living in me, by the grace of Christ, by the power given to me through the message of the gospel, Um, by the promise made to me by virtue of my baptism i can say no to sin and temptation and i can say yes to the will of god now again this doesn't mean i'm never going to sin again it doesn't mean that i'm only going to do godly things and live this perfectly holy and righteous life it is constantly this dual nature now with the christian of the the simul justus et peccator right the At the same time, I'm justified, I'm righteous in the eyes of God because this is what he declares me to be, because this is the status that he he, he puts over my life. And yet at the same time, here's my my sinful flesh. It still clings to me like a disease until the day I die, right? Um, And so here is Paul speaking to that, that new self. Shall we just go on sinning? And this is kind of the the question that people oftentimes ask, right? Well, if if Jesus has forgiven my sins, then it doesn't matter what I do. I can just go on living however I want, do whatever I want, and God's just going to forgive me. So what's the big deal? And it's like, no. See, that is not how faith talks. That is not how the new self talks. That's how the sinful nature talks. And Paul says, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You died to sin. And when you die to sin, you can't be its slave anymore. Um, So so what is this now in relation to Holy Communion? If I'm coming to receive the forgiveness of sins, what will that mean for my life? It's feeding my new self. It's strengthening my, my spiritual life so that I can what? All of those sins that I brought with me, that are forgiven here um, at the foot of Jesus cross. I'm I'm walking away from this going, I now have the strength to fight against those things. Does it mean I'm never going to fall into that temptation again? No. Does it mean that I'm never going to, um, you know, commit that sin again? No. But the point of it is to say, um, when I receive this, I'm, I'm, I'm coming forward to say, Lord, give me the strength to fight the good fight, to fight against that which I detest. And this is what Paul will go on to talk about in, in Romans 7, right? The good that I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I hate, this is what I keep on doing, right? It is to say, Lord, give me the strength to fight against that which I hate, right? As opposed to, great, I'm gonna come up to Holy Communion, I'm gonna get my sins forgiven so that I can go running headlong back into my sin, And then I'll come back next week and I'll just have Jesus, you know, wipe my dry erase board clean. The blackboard will be clean. Then I'll dirty it up again during the week and I'll come. no, this is not the attitude of the new self, right? That is the attitude of my sinful nature. Um, And so who am I listening to? And so what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that we can just keep getting more and more forgiveness? No, Um, we died to sin. We cannot live in it any longer. And it is the gospel, it is the forgiveness of sins that gives me the strength to say, I don't want to live in this any longer. Okay. So take a look at uh, the bottom of the page. Before receiving the Lord's Supper, some questions that we can ask might be, do I recognize the importance of Jesus' death, which paid for my sins? Right, the 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 importance, the value, the beauty of the death of Christ. Whenever you, um, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right, the value in this, the importance in this. Do I recognize that Jesus' body and blood are received in holy communion along with the bread and wine? Um, again, do I? This is part of examining. Do I believe this? Right? Is this my confession? Third. Do I recognize my sinfulness and desire the forgiveness God offers in Holy Communion, um, Lord? I need the forgiveness that you promise me in this sacrament. That's why I'm coming forward. Finally, do I promise, with God's help and power, to live a God pleasing life? Right, um, and I and I, I include in the the service folder on Sunday, right, the the Christian questions. Uh, they're in the uh, the front of the hymnal. They're 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 new. They're different than than our last hymnal, but it's there on pages 295 and 296. Um, these are our questions that Luther wrote down. I just gave you four questions. Um, Luther gives you 23. Um, but from time to time, I would encourage you to make use of those those questions. Um, and it's just good to kind of be reminded of that, right? Um, e- even if it's even if it's just your personal devotion um, at home, what a, what a great thing to wake up to in the morning and and ask yourself those questions and and be brought to that confession, that repentance, and that comfort of the forgiveness of sins. Um, so yeah, just keep those questions handy. And I love it's that it's the last thing that they have before the the hymns begin in the hymnal. So Christian questions, pages 295 and 296. I reference those, like I said, in the service holder, um, uh, ad during,
0: during Holy communion. So,
1: all right. Any questions on that section properly preparing yourself to receive Holy communion? Uh, take a look at the next section, then page 74. And that is, Again, we talked about kind of the, the, the various communions that take place, right? The communion between the elements, the communion between me and my Savior, and that's kind of the one we just talked about. How do I properly prepare to receive this sacrament, right? Um, now, now we're going to talk about there's a, there's a horizontal communion that takes place, that you are actually in communion with the people that you are receiving the sacrament with, and that matters, right? That matters, Um, So let's take a look at a couple of passages here. Um, We looked at this one uh, just in the last section, right? But I think here kind of the point is to say, um, not only is this important for us as individuals, but we also recognize that this is important for everyone who receives Holy Communion here, right? Um, so, So this is again why, Um, You know, we'll get to it later on um, in the middle of the page when it comes to closed communion, why we participate in something like this, because uh, the members of Prince of Peace has called me to be its pastor. And among those those duties that are discharged to me as the pastor of this congregation is first and foremost to, to preach the gospel and administer rightly the sacraments. Um and so, when it comes to administering the sacraments, I can only do those then, in accordance with the Word of God. And so, you know, Paul uses this this wonderful phrase um, when it comes to being pastors paul Paul talks about pastors as being those who are the stewards of the mysteries of God or or managers of really um, the the word mystery there in in Latin could even be translated sacrament. We're managers of the sacraments of God, um, and so uh, you know. While I understand why why people get upset when they come here and they can't take Holy Communion, it's something that I try not to take personally. I try not to, to feel guilty or bad about it. Um, and if you've ever read the the uh, the explanation in the service folder about closed communion, the very first line I have on there is we practice the historic um, practice of closed communion. Why? Because we love you and because God's word teaches it. Um, and so we'll, we'll get down to it kind of in the, the middle of the page, but I, again, I think so many people, even Christians, again, when, when the sacrament is just bread and wine, what harm could it do you? Right.
0: I mean, if, if that's all
1: it is, what harm could it do you? And, and in that way, I think so many Christians prefer to view Holy Communion as food, basically, right. For the most point, for the most part, you can eat whatever food you want, unless you have some sort of deathly allergy, you know, for something, for the most part, if you've got a hankering for something, if you've got a flavor or a taste for something, you can eat it, right? And no one can tell you no. Um, but Holy Communion is not really like food. Holy Communion is much more like medicine. Now, that matters who takes what kind of medicine, right? Um, I'll never forget this. Um, when I was in uh, graduate school and I was at the seminary, I worked at a pharmacy uh, in the afternoon. That was my job. And I loved it. And I loved the people I worked with. And I learned so much um, for better and worse. But, um, but it was one of those really, really busy days where we just got hammered with a lot of prescriptions and, and a lot of people. And it was a little, it wasn't like a Walgreens or a Rite Aid. It was like a little privately owned mom and pop. And the pharmacist owned this thing, and it was family-owned and operated and run, and it was just this amazing group of people. And, um, you know, if you've ever had a prescription, right, um, you're kind of hoping, I think, when you take it to the pharmacist, that the pharmacist is going to be able to read it, because if you've ever tried to read the chicken scratchings of a prescription, they might as well be written in Chinese. I mean, it's amazing. A, the, the penmanship of doctors has to be the worst of any profession. <laughs> But B, all of the the medicine has its own shorthand uh, abbreviation. You don't write out the entire, you know what I mean? Um, It's like the periodic table of elements. There's like two or three letters, and then it's got five milligrams or 25 milligrams or whatever it is. Um, And so we would get these, and then you'd have to read them and then figure out what it is and then go into the computer and enter it in and then count the pills and print out the sticker and put it on. And well. That was all fine until you had to get to the schedule two and three and four narcotics. And those are locked in a case with a key. And the only way to get in there is to to show the card to the pharmacist. And then he goes, okay, yep, this is what it is. Unlock it, pull it out, count the pills, put it back, count the ones that you're putting back in to make sure that that's the right amount, put them back in. Not only do it on the computer, but also write down on a hard copy because this is such an important thing, right? Because these pills in the hands of the wrong person will kill them. And it was a super busy day. And I I saw this prescription. And for whatever reason, I read it as it was this, you know, higher level scheduled narcotic. And because things were so busy, I went to the pharmacist and I said, can I get the key? I got a prescription for this. He said, yep, not a problem, gave it to me. He never would have done that under any normal circumstances, but I had been working there long enough. I should have known better. Um, he trusted me and we were super busy. So I got him, I counted him out. I, I put it on there. I put the sticker on, I put everything back, gave him to the person. He looked at the bag, saw what was in there, opened it up, gave it to the lady and off she went. At the end of the day, thank thank goodness, We also then have to take out any of the scheduled narcotics and go through and count them all again for the end of the day. And he went through and he said, why are there 20, 25 pills of this missing? And I said, well, it's because I gave it to that lady, remember? And he goes, that's not what this prescription was. And thankfully, he called her on the phone. It was maybe only a half hour to an hour later. She hadn't taken one yet. Explained to her the situation. She came back. We switched them out, but that would have been deadly. I, I don't know what that would have meant for me. I don't know what I probably it probably wouldn't have meant anything for me. It would have meant the end of this man's career, probably the end of his business, would have lost his home. I mean, it, it could have been all of these things. But the point of it is to say you need to have a proper diagnosis and a proper prescription before you consume something that has the power to do something lethal and this is really the picture here um this is the power of this sacrament we go through and we spend all the time talking about the blessings of it but do not overlook the power that it can have in the hands of the wrong person a person can eat and drink judgment on themselves And so am I willing to be hated and yelled at, all of which I've received, when I told someone they can't take Holy Communion? Yes, if that means that I have spared them from eating and drinking judgment on themselves. Um, Just as any pharmacist, any doctor should be willing to take heat or hatred or anger because some... Addict wants another prescription of their whatever, and the doctor says, No, I'm not giving it to you. Um, so we, as the managers or the stewards of the mysteries of God, um, ought to do the same thing. I care what people are receiving. I care about people, even if I don't know you. I care about what you're receiving. And so this is why I ask people: meet with me, let me know that you are going to receive this to your benefit and not your detriment before
0: I give it to you.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll never forget. There was a, there was a a man in my former congregation. I was taking him through this class and we got to this point. um, It was earlier in the class, something happened. I don't remember what it was, but he blew up on it. Um, and and swore he would never come back and and we we stayed in touch and we smoothed things out and he came back and and kind of underlying part of this was he was a very successful man he owned his own business he wasn't used to people telling him no and when he came to her church and he said you know i want to take communion and i said no he didn't like that and then we got to this lesson and we went through this and I remember him sitting there and looking at me, and he and and he raised his hand, and I said, "Oh man, here we go. We're going to start it up again." And he raised his hand, and he said, "Thank you." And I said, "For what?" And he goes, "Because this is what I would have done, and you stopped me from doing that. And even when I attacked you and I I yelled at you and I was so angry with you for doing it, you still said no. Um, thank you." And um, yeah, became a member. I got to baptize him and his wife and and uh, they're living up in Idaho now. He actually came down when I was back there a couple of weeks ago preaching. It was just good to see him again, so um, just just an awesome person. but that was that was one of those things I, th- I think that was pretty cool to see. Um, another there's another aspect to this, though. First um, Corinthians 10 says this: Paul says, "Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a sharing?" or a communion the greek word there is koinonia which is actually the word that we get our word communion from um so whether you're translating a sharing in or a communion in or a a participation in right the picture there is these things are are one right so he says is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a sharing in a fellowship in a communion in the blood of christ um, and is not the bread that we break a sharing or a communion in the body of Christ. I had another lady a number of years ago, Kind of had a Methodist background and she said, this was the passage that she had never heard. She said, how, how anybody could read this passage and not see that the wine is in communion with the blood of Christ. It's there, they're together. They're, they're one. Why was I never told this? Um, so, the whole idea of representation for her went out the window just with this passage, right? Um, and And I think it, it's interesting, you know, Paul asked this question not just to say, "What do you think? Do you think this is true?" but in in Greek, just as we can in English, you can ask a question in such a way that you that you anticipate a certain answer. so So it happens all the time uh, in our house. I'll 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 say to my kids. Um, it just happened the night before dinner. I told them to pick up their rooms before dinner, and you know uh, dinner was ready. And I said, uh, "Go wash your hands. Go to the bathrooms. Time for dinner." And they all came in. And I said, "You picked up your room, didn't you?" I didn't ask. Just did you pick up your room? Um, I'm implying the answer better be yep, or you're going right back there to do it again. Like right? I'm anticipating. I'm implying the answer that I want to hear, the answer that is right. And this is what Paul is saying. He's not asking, do you think that the the cup of wine is in communion with the blood of Christ? And then just kind of however you answer it becomes your truth. No, he's asking it in such a way that the answer is yes, it is. Because then look at the very next word in verse 17, because this is true. Because there is one loaf, we who are many Are one body for we all partake of the one loaf. Now, here's the question What implications do you see in that word? Because does communing together make the recipients one loaf, or are the recipients to be one loaf prior to communing? Now, read that sentence through,
0: think it through, think about what Paul just said
1: cup and the blood are one. The bread and the body are one. Because there is one. We who are many are
0: one because we partake of the one loaf. It really is the latter. The
1: recipients are to be one loaf, one body, Prior to communing, because this is the confession that you are making at the table when you commune together—that we are one body, we are united in faith, we are united in practice, we are united in our confession of what this meal is. We don't come up here with all of our whims and all of our preferences and all of our opinions, hoping and banking on well, maybe this meal is going to all bring us together and, and help us sing kumbaya. Now. It definitely does that. As it strengthens our faith individually, it will strengthen our faith as a community. However, that doesn't mean that there should not also be this prior oneness before we come. Because what are we receiving? We are coming to receive the one body of Christ. And we do that as one body. Okay? And so this is the other thing I I tell people. you know, when you come up and receive Holy Communion here, the confession that you are making to this group of people is that you are one in faith and confession and practice with them. And I am not going to force that confession on you until it is yours freely made. So I tell people, um, you, you might want to take communion, but you might not want to take communion and I don't, I don't say that as a knock to our congregation. I'm just saying the confession of this congregation might not be your confession. So don't come up and pretend that it is. Okay? Um, just as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes when we receive the sacrament, we also are proclaiming our confession of faith. Here's what we believe. That we are united in faith. And when that does not exist, people should not commune. I'm not going to go, as much as I love the, the smells and the bells and the, the you know, um, of the, 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 the Roman uh, Latin mass, I'm not going to go receive the Eucharist at the Roman Catholic parish down the road because that's not my confession. Um, and, and when, you know, same as it is, if, you know, I'm going to go to a, a, a church that teaches representation. I'm not going to go there thinking, "Well, because I know and believe what the Bible teaches, then this is what the Holy Communion is going to be for me." I, I, I run the risk of strengthening those people in their false claims of what the sacrament is by participating in it. right? It's sort of like, you know, um, you can actually get arrested without committing a crime, just simply by being a party to those who commit the crime. I'm not going to be a party to those who are practicing or participating or confessing something that is not biblical.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah,
1: okay, well, there you go. Good for them, good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Even though, you know, obviously, you know, you don't want to go that long without receiving Holy Communion. That's hard. But at the same time, you know, and, and so, you know, people would say, well, you know, what if you're stranded on a desert island and the only church there is Baptist, right? Would you still take communion? I would say no. And, and, and by not receiving that, I'm, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I'm not, um, you know, denouncing Christianity. I'm simply acknowledging that what this church practices and confesses is not my practice and confession. So I can still come. I'm gonna hear the word of God, hopefully, right? But I'm not going to participate in that, which I know is, is not my confession. Um, and, I, and, and you know, there are gonna be a ton of people in heaven who never received Holy Communion. We're, we'll get to that in some of the frequently asked questions. How often do you have to receive Holy Communion to be saved? It's the wrong question. Right? You're turning it into the law. How much of this do I have to do before God finally says, you're good? That's not the point of this. Right? Don't turn the gospel into the law. Okay. okay. All right. So um, the preceding verses show us two specific reasons why we practice close or closed communion. I prefer closed. I think the people who who prefer close communion um, just do so because they think it makes them sound nicer. The reality is it's closed, right? It's not open to everyone. Number one, um, we don't want someone to receive the Lord's Supper without recognizing that Jesus' body and blood are present in Holy Communion. Receiving Holy Communion in this way would cause spiritual harm rather than benefit, right? We care enough about people to say no. You've, your parents, you've been parents, you're, you know, your grandparents, you know that sometimes the most loving thing you can say is no. Right? Um, So it is here. Number two, communion is to be an expression of our oneness of faith. As we study other verses in the Bible that talk about unity, we recognize that the unity or oneness God calls us to have is a complete unity in what we believe and confess, and not merely an agreement on a few select biblical teachings. So again, these passages aren't really talking about Holy Communion, but they're talking about this what does it mean to be one loaf? What does it mean to be one body? How many doctrines of the Bible do we have to agree on before we can say we are of the same confession? Well, take a look. Matthew chapter 28, we looked at this all about baptism. um, The Great Commission, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus doesn't say, and teaching them these things, right? The stuff that I talked about, in my early days of my ministry, those are really the important things. The primary teachings of the Bible. You hear Christians always try and right, di- differentiate. There are primary and secondary or tertiary, you know, whatever word they want to use to describe the doctrines of the Bible. Like where? Where does that where does that from? Right? I would say the only the closest we get to that is just by simply saying this: what is necessary for salvation? It is faith in jesus christ as lord and savior right um and i would say along with that uh, in the triune god right um but but to say then well that's the only thing that's then necessary to make us one for communion i think is to ignore a whole other batch of passages that that make this clear where jesus says When it comes to the things that you are to teach, when it comes to the things that I want you to know and believe and confess, there are not primary and secondary. Romans chapter 16, Paul puts it this way. The final chapter in his letter to the Romans, watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, which sounds like about the most unchristian thing that you could do, right? To keep away from people. Well, Paul says, unfortunately, that the day might come when you might have to tell someone, look, you are not of this confession. You are not of this fellowship. I remember one of the conclusions in the debate between uh, Zwingli and Luther on Holy Communion, Um, you know, representation versus the real presence. And finally, you know, Luther would say that Zwingli is a Christian, right? He never denied that. But at the end of it, Luther's conclusion was, Wingley, you and I are of a different spirit. We, we, we just, we're not speaking the same confession. We're not speaking the same language. Um, and so I think this is one of those things where he would say, this is where we have to part ways. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. And and when it comes to the you know various Christian denominations in our community, when it comes to practicing closed communion, I think so often people view, well, if you're not going to give me communion, you're telling me that I'm not a Christian. No, I'm not. Not at all. You do not have to, thankfully, receiving Holy Communion at Prince of Peace Lutheran Church in Thousand Oaks, California, is not a prerequisite for being saved. Um, But what I am telling you, though, is that your confession is not the same as the confession of this body. And I'm not going to make you make that confession. And I'm not going to pretend that your confession is true. Okay. We might just have to part ways for now and say, I'll see you in heaven. Right. Um, Where we will finally then be shed of our, of our obstacles and our divisions and the things that separate us. And then we will finally, and ultimately and forever be one. John 14, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Notice he says, my teaching, singular, right? Yeah, um, Jesus doesn't say all of the doctrines that I gave you, right? Take a look at those. The Bible is a unit. Scripture is a unit. The teaching of Jesus Christ is a unit. Um, we, we dare not separate these into primary, secondary, um, and so forth. Finally, 1 Corinthians 1, I think this one is the most clear. Of course, this was like the biggest challenge in Corinth, right? All of the divisions that existed in that church, right? From who they wanted to be their pastor to the communion practices, to married versus unmarried. Um, I mean, it was just wrought with every kind of division that could exist in a Christian church. It felt like the Corinthians had. And so this is how Paul begins. This is part of the purpose of his letter. He says, I appeal to you brothers In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's the hope. And as impossible as that is for a group of sinful people, that's what we strive for. Right? And again, all we can do is go off of someone's confession. If I gave the members of this congregation a a hundred question test on different matters of doctrine and faith, I am not naive enough to think that every single one of those tests would come back with 100 the same answers. But what have people said by becoming a member of this congregation? Pastor, members, this is my confession. Why do you think we bring people up to the front of church every time we confirm them, every time we welcome new members? Why do you think we ask them those questions? It's not just a nice way to acknowledge them. It's not just a nice way to welcome them. It is an opportunity for them to say to you, to say to me, their pastor, to say to their God, this, what this church teaches, this is my confession. I am united with you in mind and thought. I am one with you in faith and for you to give thanks to God for them. Okay. So again, this is part of this the purpose of this class. Why do we do this? Why do we go through all of this? Because if you're going to become a member of this church, I want you to know what the confession of this church is. Before you make it your own, you should know what it is. That just seems like a fair thing to do.
0: Um it just took me 2 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. I, I probably would have made you go through four.
1: So handle with care, bottom of the page. The Lord's Supper is a wonderful blessing, but one that needs to be handled with care. Parents are persons who should not commune are one, professed unbelievers, obviously, right? I don't believe in God. I don't believe that that this is you know um, who Jesus is and what he's done. Well, then you don't want this. This is going to be bad for you or people living in a state of impenitence. So this might be somebody now who is a member of our congregation, who has made that confession of faith, and yet, for whatever reason, um, is living in a state of impenitence. So part of this, do, you, do I acknowledge my sinfulness and the need for God's forgiveness when I'm someone who is living in impenitence and saying, look, you know," um, and, and, and every pastor has to deal with this, When someone says, look, pastor, I I really don't care what you say. I really don't care what God says. I'm going to keep doing this thing because I enjoy it and it makes me happy. And I don't care if you call it a sin or if God thinks it's a sin. um, I'm going to keep on doing it. Well, that's somebody then who I'm not giving communion to. This is somebody now that we, we put under church discipline in the hopes that by withholding this good gift from them, it is going to make them realize the seriousness of their sin. Okay. Um, Number two, people who can't examine themselves, right? Paul says a person ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. People who can't examine themselves, why might that be the case? Well, they don't have the mental capacity. So unlike baptism, we don't give communion to babies. There is this sort of encouragement, guidelines, instruction given. Now, again, that being said, going out on a limb here, I think we should be giving communion to our children much sooner than we do. Uh, Right now, we we tend to do it at the end of eighth grade, right, when they're confirmed. I think probably the vast majority of kids could do it much sooner than that. Um, And, you know, again, Luther makes that kind of clear in the small catechism, if you turn the page who is properly prepared to receive. um, It's the one who believes these words given and poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Um, And do I think that a fourth grader or a third grader could believe that? Absolutely, right? So, uh, you know, hopefully kind of working on how to address that. And yet I think when it comes to being Lutheran, we've got our traditions and I don't know that there is a more hard and fast tradition in the Lutheran church than the rite of confirmation. Uh, that might be a hard one for change to change. I don't know that we'll do it in, in my ministry, but um, I at least like to bring it up.
0: We um, had 16, that was... Yeah. That was great.
1: yeah, I think that's way too late. You know, but I understand from the reform perspective, the longer you wait, yeah. the more knowledge you get, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, the catechism, right? yeah. years and years yeah. of catechism.
1: Yeah 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 and 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 I'm not saying that we do away with catechism and instruction. I'm not saying that at all. um I'm not saying that we 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 stop the 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 practice of spending years instructing our children in the basic truths of God's Word, not at all. What I'm saying though is I don't think we have to wait until they've got a firm grasp on all of those things before they can simply say. I believe that this is the body and blood of Jesus given and poured out for me for the forgiveness of sins. So
0: So when I put through the Catechism, I think it was 96 months. and yeah. I don't think they ever asked me if I was baptized. Okay. I don't know whether you have to be baptized to
1: be Yes. Yep. Yeah, we, we do see there's an order. There's an order of the sacraments, right? Um it it's sort of like, you know, um, baptism is again what is the word it's a it's a rebirth right you have to be born before you can eat right um sort of sort of thing you, you you give birth to the child and then you feed it and you clothe it and you do all of those things so we do see there's an order in the sacraments um that you you baptize someone first and then you give them holy communion um yeah so i would i would definitely ask that question yeah first Um, but it might also be the, the mental capacity might also be somebody, you know, I've had a number of shut-ins over the years, um, where, uh, you know, advanced stages of Alzheimer's, things like that, right? Now, I don't want to put so much of an emphasis on the mental capacity of somebody receiving Holy Communion, um, because again, we're, we're still talking about a, a faith thing, right? We're talking about a spiritual thing, and yes. Uh, again as a pastor i want to do everything i can to to be as confident as i can that this person is receiving this right uh, in a proper in a proper way so um if you if you've ever dealt with people um you know um advanced ages uh whether they're they're senile or they're um, um, dementia or alzheimer's or something like that they have good days and they have bad days right i mean that's just usually kind of the reality and i you know so there are times when I would go and visit my shut-ins and I'd walk in the door and I still remember one of my first ones, um, a lady who was uh, in her 90s and uh, taught Sunday school for like 70 years of her life. Um, and I would go and I would take the old Lutheran hymnal with me um, and and I would just start singing hymns and she would sing them with me and I'd walk in the door and she'd know who I was. Um, and, and I'd look at her and I would say, you know, June, do you want to receive Holy Communion today? And she'd say, absolutely, I do. And I'd give her communion then there are days when I'd walk in and she wouldn't know me from Adam. She didn't know who she was. She didn't know where she was. That's not someone I'm going to go, okay, June, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed you this bread of why, uh, uh, bread, and here's what it is. I'm not going to force that on her, right? And and in doing so, right, I'm, again, this is not me saying you're not a Christian. You're not. Um, it really is just more so for the care of the individual, recognizing I don't want to give you something that you 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 might look at it and go, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what this is, right? So I'll do a devotion. I'll still sing a hymn. I'll do the creed. I'll say the Lord's Prayer. I'll go through those things, right? They're still getting the word of God. This is absolutely still a Christian. This is why we take so much comfort in the fact that faith is a matter of the heart, you know, um, more so even than a matter of the mind. Um, so that even when someone's mind is gone, we can still take comfort that they're they are wrapped up in the, in the, in the righteousness and the love of Jesus. Um, but this isn't, this isn't going to be somebody where every time I go, um, regardless, you know, I'm just going to give them Holy Communion um, because they've been taking communion for 80 years of their life. No, today might not be a day I do that. Right. And that's okay. Um, uh, letter B, uh, people who can't examine themselves because they haven't been instructed in the teachings of God's word and supper. Um, so uh, they don't know what it means to examine themselves. How do I examine myself, right? They, they've never been taught that. Finally, then persons who do not agree in what they believe should not commune together, okay? Um, the last section there, frequently asked questions, what I'll do is I'm just gonna let you go through that. And if you have any questions on it next time, we can begin with that. I would encourage you to read through that. Um, but uh, if, if we don't have any questions there, then there is the uh, the, the Catechism, um, and here is the summary, okay? Top of page 77. Similar to the Holy Baptism, the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion is a sacrament that Jesus has given as a gift to his church. In it, Jesus miraculously gives us his body and blood, the same body nailed to the cross and the same blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Since we sin often, and since our faith is often plagued with doubts we will want to receive holy communion often so that we can be strengthened by the forgiveness god offers us through this sacrament in order to receive the blessings that the lord's supper offers christians excuse me we are careful about how we and others receive it we can prepare ourselves for holy communion when we recognize our sinful condition our need for god's mercy and the real presence of Christ's body and blood in Holy Communion. Because we also want others to receive the Lord's Supper properly, we commune with those who share a common faith with us and who recognize the body and blood of Christ given in the sacrament. And then the, in the worship-life connection, I always think that's kind of neat, but just to point out quickly that that, that, that sh- short portion in the Sunday morning service, the the, the communion portion of the service, in about three to five minutes, we walk through all of the major events of Holy Week, right? We begin with the Sanctus, um, and we sing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, um, the words that were shouted uh, of Jesus when he rode in on Palm Sunday. So we start there with Palm Sunday. We move into the words of institution where we speak the words that Jesus spoke as he instituted the meal on Monday Thursday evening in the upper room with his disciples. We end that with the words, the peace of the Lord be with you always. That jumps ahead to Easter Sunday, when Jesus appears before his disciples, when they're hiding for fear um, behind locked doors, and Jesus comes and says, peace be with you, right? Um, then we sing, O Christ, Lamb of God, the Agnus Dei. Um, and what is that the picture of christ the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world well how does he do that by dying by sacrificing himself that's good friday right so just in those two songs in that like i said it's like three to five minutes it's not a very long portion but we walk through all of those we echo the words of that most holy week of the year and so really every sunday we're kind of reenacting we're repeating we're echoing the words of holy week Um, so those things are done with great thought um, and, um, and intentionality. So, so, so never overlook those. Okay. All
0: right, that, and that is lesson 10. Okay,
1: um, we will continue next week. Like I said, if you have any questions, um, take a look at those. Otherwise, we'll begin lesson 11 on um, confession and absolution.
0: All right. Absolutely, go ahead. And I've noticed that, um, particularly the older people in the congregation, also, they don't factor what they're supposed to do. I don't think. Okay. I mean, like, um, a woman comes up, she prays, she 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 crosses herself. I have no idea church is
1: different. Sure. Yeah. And I think most of that is probably just people that I have instructed versus people that I have not. Um and, and I think there's, you know, um I I usually tend to to teach people um how to receive holy communion, not that there's a necessarily a right way and a wrong way. Um but when it comes to when 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 we're talking in that passage, we're careful about how we and others receive it we're more so talking about faith. We're talking more so about spiritual approach to it, not necessarily the mechanics of, you know, how you do it. But, you know, the encouragement that I oftentimes give to people is, um, you know, normally I I, I think, you know, um, opening your mouth and just putting the wafer in the mouth, that's how I always did it my entire life. Um, you know, that kind of changed with COVID and that's okay. Um, but the the thing that I tell people now is, you know, just to put out your two hands. Um, and really, what is this? This is kind of the, the, uh, the, the thing to offer. I'm simply only here to receive whatever it is you can give me. Um, and then I tell people, you know, instead of picking it up with your hand and, and putting it in your mouth, just, just take it right to your mouth. And again, that that's kind of, you know, the, the posture of a beggar, but it also minimizes, I think, the the handling of it. And it just happened on Sunday where I put it in a lady's hand and she went down to pick it up and then it it fell and she 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 grabbed it and she put it. And not that there's anything wrong with that, right? But it just there's there's a lot more that can go wrong, right? Um, and then when it comes to to the wine, obviously the individual cups, I think those are are pretty simple. But when it comes to the chalice, one of the things that I always encourage people to do is, you know, some people say, you know, the lady is not allowed to touch the cup. Right. Um, I say, okay, well, I understand the meaning behind that, but sometimes it's just hard to tell when somebody has gotten enough. Like Peter is a really hard one um, because he's taller. Um, and so, and he's standing right when he comes up as as an usher or an elder. And so, when I'm communing, I can't tell if he's he's gotten any. So, what I normally tell people to do is, at the very least, just take the bottom of the cup, and I'll hold it, and you tip it, and then you pull it back when you've gotten enough. Um, that at least just kind of helps me because there's been times where I've tipped it and pulled it back, and somebody looks at me like,
0: I didn't get anything.
1: <laughs> it's like, okay, well, let's let's do it again. And I'm sure there have been times where I've, you know, given too much, you know, and it just, it's kind of hard to gauge that. So, again, we, we try and do all of this recognizing kind of the enormity of the situation, right? We want to approach it in humility, um, but at the same time, there's, there's got to be a kind of a practical aspect to it, right? Um, and so I think there are some things you can do to kind of iron that out, so to speak, so.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, I think if you're older, chances are um, you were probably taught more piety when it comes to that, um, number one. Number two, you probably were raised with the common cup because the individual cups didn't really become a thing until the whole AIDS scare in the 80s. That's kind of when they really became popular. Not to say that people didn't use them before then, um, but that's really kind of when they became big, especially in America, which is so ironic, right? When you think about it, because now we know you can't even contract AIDS that way, but we've stuck with it. Um,
0: yeah. I my mom with
1: dad, it was
0: always, you know, he got way more Oh, I gotcha.
1: Yeah. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It was just knowing who did what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's a in the in the frequently asked questions. There's kind of a you know some people have that fear. If I take the common cup, you know, the fear of sickness and disease and all of that, and I kind of walk through and explain. Um, you know, just scientifically, there's really nothing to support that. Um, I mean, scientific studies show you, um, you're already at your greatest amount of risk to get sick just by simply sitting in a large room with a bunch of people. So you've already, you've already achieved that risk just by coming to church, right? So coming up and drinking from the common cup is not like you're tripling that risk. You've already reached it. Number one, number two, it's alcohol. Number three, it's, it's metal which is a bad conductor of of germs. Number four, I wipe it away from you and turn it so that people aren't drinking. And I do that because my, my dad didn't do that. And I remember one of the very first times I ever took communion as a kid, I was, I was knelt down to this wonderful older lady who just got dolled up every Sunday to the nines and just, you know, the brightest lipstick you ever seen in your life. And you know, she was right before me and then came to me and there's just these big oh. lipstick right on the, you know, and, you know, as the son of a preacher, you just, you just drink it and you move on. But, you know, it's just, again, it's, you want people to kind of keep their, their focus.
0: He just didn't believe in wiping it. Yeah, he just,
1: he just did. It wasn't something he did. Um, I don't know if he does now or not, but, and maybe he did it and just didn't do it for that one. I don't know, but it's, I remember that very vividly. Um, but, um but ultimately, you know, here's the encouragement. What is it that you're receiving? Right? This is the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so to look at that and say, I'm not going to say that it's physically impossible. But I, I, I think it's kind of shortchanging God a little bit to say, Lord, I'm going to minimize the risk of getting sick when I receive your blood by you know taking this individual cup. And I'm not saying that everybody who takes an individual cup says that, but some do. Um and and I and I just think, you know, I got a hard time thinking that the Lord is going to use something like this to be a a means through which he brings something bad into your life, right? Something painful. Again, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm not saying it's never happened. I just I think there are people, however, that just cannot get over the germ thing. They just can't. And if that's the case, if we only had common cup, they wouldn't take Holy Communion. And I think that's sad, but I think it's the reality. And I'm not going to be one who says, well, this is a hill I'm going to die on. If you're not going to take it from this one cup, you're not going to get it. I'm not going to do that either. I know some pastors who do. I'm not. Um,
0: So... All right. One of the questions uh, I have, I know the answer, but uh, when you put everything back, there's yeah. still two or three that uh, have wine in there. Yeah. How do you dispose of that?
1: Yeah, so uh, we take the the unused individual cups, and there's a couple different ways. Um, we we either we pour them back into kind of the larger... Uh, pitcher that we bring right back out then again the next sunday or um i've instructed the the ladies of the altar guild to just pour them in the common cup and then i finish the common cup um, or the other way that that people do it is um you take it out and you pour it onto the ground essentially you, you pour it out on the ground you give it back to the earth um, you know that's kind of the picture again it, it's the the point of it is just simply to say not what is this is this still the blood of Christ? Is this still the body of Christ? Like, we're not answering those questions because scripture doesn't, right? We're, we're gonna talk ourselves in circles. The point of it is to say, you treat these things with dignity and respect because you know what God is using them for. So, so maybe a stretch, but, but an example would be when someone dies. In many ways, we could say it would be perfectly acceptable to throw the body in a dumpster and just go on with your life. That's not them anymore, right? Uh, but, but we treat the body with dignity and respect. And so we bury it, or we cremate it, we do something with it. Or in the state of California now, you turn it into compost or whatever our governor just came up with. But that's kind of the point, right? It's not a matter of we're saying what this is. We're simply looking at it and saying, we're, we're, we're gonna do this instead of just pouring it down the drain like you would with leftover soda, right? Um, we're we're going we're gonna to treat this with the dignity and respect um, that it deserves. So that's why we, we take those means and precautions to, to either kind of set those things aside to be used again for that same purpose, or we make sure that we, we consume them or dispose of them in a proper manner. So, all right. Oh, man, I was wasn't even on camera. Okay, uh, we'll pick up next week. Everybody have a wonderful week. Thanks for the questions. Good conversation. Thanks for hanging around a little longer tonight. And uh,
0: we'll see you soon. Good night. Good night.